Hello, and welcome to the Chris Yeh Podcast. I am, as always, Chris Yeh. Today's episode is something people have long been clamoring for. It's my interview with my fellow mental samurai and proud Team Tuesday member, Dr. Jackie Boehm. Now, Dr. Jackie is very busy saving lives, so I'm afraid I only had about half an hour to interview her, and I tried my best to get through the highlights of her life, which include an incredible series of accomplishments that I think you'll find just as impressive as I did. However, hopefully, and you'll see this in the interview, Dr. Jackie will be willing to come back again in the future to answer more questions. So please enjoy this interview and think of additional questions you'd like me to ask the amazing Dr. Jackie when she returns. And how, without further ado, Dr. Jackie Boehm. Hey, Jackie, are you there? I'm here. Oh my goodness, this is a long-awaited moment. Many people have been asking, when are you going to have Dr. Jackie on your show? And the day has finally come. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here on the Chris Yeh Show. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. So I think that, you know, I know that you're really busy saving lives, so we can't take as long as we have with some of our effusive interviewees like Ryan. So we're just going to dive on in. I think I'm going to assume that everyone's watched you on Mental Samurai, and we'll certainly talk about that. But, you know, one of the things that don't show on the show is the full background. And I know just from watching on the show, people are like, wow, Dr. Jackie is amazing. She comes to this country. She grows up here, becomes the first in family to go to college. She is a doctor at Brigham and Women's. It's all incredible. But they don't even know half the story. So I want to hear more about some of those different elements of your story, including things like the fact that you are a competitive weightlifter, hence the curls, the <laughs> fact that you are a top 10 finisher in the Miss Florida pageant, the fact that you have a black belt in the martial arts and <laughs> anything else that people have missed along the way, because my goodness, your story is incredible. Oh, thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly am just extraordinarily happy that people get to hear my story. And I've had a lot of people come up to me and tell me that my story was inspirational to them. And that honestly means a lot to me. Um, when, when I was growing up, most of this was not an inspirational story. It was just a daily struggle and challenges nonstop. And so it feels incredible to finally be in a position where my story is just another challenge that I've been able to overcome and help to inspire other people. So it really means a lot to me. Well, talk a little bit about your family growing up, especially your parents, it sounds like they worked really hard to give you a better life and obviously succeeded. Talk about what it was like growing up in Central Florida. Sure. So so we grew up just outside of Orlando uh, in, in sort of suburban area called Winter Springs. And when we were growing up, we actually moved around quite a bit. And it was because my parents were always moving in an attempt to keep us in the best school systems to the best of their abilities, despite financial difficulties. And so anytime one of us was moving forward from elementary to middle school or to high school, if the school at the next stage was not necessarily a top rated school, my parents would move us. Uh, and and even throughout all of this, we lived in you know government housing. But as long as things were in the school zones of a top-rated school, then that's where we would go. And 
number one priority throughout all of this was education for us. So even from a very young age, my parents emphasized that. And I saw that in, in the places that we lived. Um, wow. Do you tell me about this? So you mentioned we. Did you have siblings as well? Tell me a little bit about them. Sure. Yes. I, I have an older brother and a younger brother. And my older brother's name is Hector. He's four years older than I am. And he I'm so proud of him. He is vice president of a major catering company in Orlando called Arthur's Catering. And my younger brother, his name is Zoilo, but we call him Piccolo, which means little in Italian. That's been his nickname since he was young. And also incredibly proud of him. He is an electrical engineer and he works in uh, uh, lighting and smart lighting for businesses. Fantastic. Well, it certainly sounds like your parents' uh, emphasis on education really paid off. Absolutely. And, And not just education, but hard work and that you know, that that old adage that they say, you know, you can grow up to be anything that you want to be was real in our household. And it just depended on how much work you were going to put into it. My parents always used to say, it honestly doesn't matter what you do as long as you're the best at what you do. And so my older brother took that to heart. He always worked in the food industry and he worked at Domino's Pizza for many years. And when he went into the catering business, You know, he was a server and he worked as hard as he could and he became vice president of the company. And and same for me. I was really interested in medicine at a young age. So they said, if this is your thing, then put your heart and soul into it and be the best that you can be. And so I ended up where I am today. And same for my younger brother, who loves to calculate mathematics equations and numbers in his head. And they said, go full force and, and do whatever you can with that. And he's an engineer. It's amazing. That's great because what they did is they encouraged each child's unique interest and each child has then gone on to achieve greatly in their chosen field. So as a parent, I know that that would make me feel very good. That's right. They they didn't try to form us into what they wanted from us. They allowed us to really delve into our own separate interests. That's really an amazing thing for a parent to be able to do. Now, one of the things that's really fascinating is obviously you are an intellectual powerhouse and can do pretty much anything there. But then you also, turns out, are a physical powerhouse. You're a a weightlifter, a powerlifter. You also did the martial arts. Where did that element come in from? So it actually started when I was young. I wanted to be a gymnast or a ballerina because I had this shirt that was given to me uh, by one of my friends that had a ballerina on it, and I was obsessed. But my mom in particular wanted me to become a strong, independent woman who could take care of herself. So she decided that I would be put into uh, more strength-based sports. And so we were actually, all three of us were put into martial arts and also something for the three of us to be able to do together. Um, And so we did martial arts for most of our youth growing up and uh, continued on with different types of martial arts throughout middle and high school, which I think also helped with the discipline aspect of things because in martial arts you had to follow every single instruction and if you got out of line a little bit you were forced to do push-ups run laps you were yelled at you know it was all about discipline motivation and pushing yourself to the limits so this is a cobra kai kind of thing but without the uh, telling the kids to sweep the leg right exactly (laughs) um and then, you know, more moreover, when I was in high school, 
this was much to my parents' dismay, actually. I decided that I wanted to do weightlifting uh, and in addition to martial arts. And part of the reason I wanted to go into weightlifting was actually I was not fast enough or skilled enough to be in any other sport. Um, I tried to be on the volleyball team at least three times and I never made it past tryouts. So weightlifting was the only team on my high school that just accepted anyone and you weren't uh, required to try out. And it turned out to be one of the funnest experiences of my high school time. Now, why were your parents dismayed? Is it because they just didn't picture their martial artist as a, uh, a hulking meathead, as, as Stella would put it? Or what was going on there? That's right. They, I think they saw it as a bit too masculine and my mom was afraid that I would become a little too Hulk-like from a physique standpoint. Uh, and uh, yeah, my, my dad also just, you know, sort of preferred the grace of martial arts. Uh, and it took a lot of convincing to be able to let me, uh, convincing uh, of my parents to, to let me do it, basically. Yes, I think as we discussed, my in-laws are a traditional Puerto Rican family, so I can imagine the thought of their precious daughter going and being on a weightlifting team with a bunch of weightlifters was probably not high on their list of things. Right, yeah, you can imagine their, their faces when I told them I was trying out. So did you stay on that team throughout high school? What, was, uh, what about it really appealed to you? I did. I, I did it for multiple years. I was on the varsity weightlifting team. And it was, again, you know, I guess I think the theme sort of comes up multiple times throughout my life, both young life and, and later on. But um, it was this idea that I was competing against myself and everything I did was just pushing myself to the limits. Sure, there were other people that I might have to beat in terms of how much weight that I would be cleaning and jerking or bench pressing, but it was just a honestly a, a race against myself. I needed to beat my best personal record. I needed to push myself to the limit and see how long I could hold the weight up. And that also demonstrates your self-motivation, which is a great thing. I'm curious, during the Tuesday that we spent together, did you and Stella talk any weightlifting shop or anything like that? We, we didn't. I actually didn't realize that she was a weightlifter until uh, much later on, and I didn't get the opportunity to talk with her. Uh, perhaps another time then. Yeah. Now, in addition to the weightlifting, now we turn uh, take a 180, and we get to the Miss Florida competition. And tell me about this. This is like seems uh, martial arts, uh, weightlifting, beauty pageant. One of these things does not quite fit with the other ones. Right. So, so yeah, definitely a 180 in terms of your sort of stereotypical sports and recreational activities for girls and boys. And I, I actually got hooked up with joining a pageantry by one of my roommates when I was in college. Uh, we, we did a study abroad trip together and we were doing an environmental study trip in the islands of St. Kitts and Nevis. And one night we had some free time. So a group of us went to a local karaoke bar and I sang, I think I will survive. And she heard me sing and she said, oh, my God, Jackie, you can sing. You need to do pageants. And I thought it was the craziest idea because at the time I was incredibly shy and you couldn't have paid me a million dollars to get up in front of an audience. But she convinced me and it turned out to be one of the most 
educational and fantastic experiences that I've done because that's probably the time period where I came out of my shell and became comfortable in front of the public. Wow. I am just trying to picture you as shy and retiring and not wanting to appear in front of other people, not being able to express yourself. It's hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a real transitional period for me, I'll tell you. So this was in college then. This is sort of like the junior, sophomore, junior years of college. That's right. Yeah, this was early in college. Uh, whereas previously, when I was in high school, I was much shyer. I, you know, I was I was a nerd. I was in in all the nerd classes. I was hard. I had a couple of jobs outside of school, but you know, I, I didn't perform or anything like that. That came. And so I'm picturing this now. And so you're in college at the University of Central Florida, the Golden Knights. And That's right. And so you're pursuing your your studies so that you're going to become a doctor, and you're also doing beauty pageants on the side. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it was really fun. Most of it was learning about uh, poise, learning about what it takes to look confident when you lack confidence, actually, in front of an audience. And to most people's surprise, I actually learned the value of the swimsuit competition. Um, so what I was saying was that I, you know, I, I'm sure if you'd ask most people what the swimsuit competition is all about, you know, they would give you some answer that doesn't reflect at all what the Miss America organization actually um, targets. And and though initially I was a little biased against it, I I realized that it takes a lot of inner confidence uh, and and learning to sort of fake it till you make it to get up there when you feel extremely self, uh, you know, just lacking in all confidence in yourself to get up there in front of a group of people in a swimsuit and be able to portray poise and a plum when you're out there without feeling it. Right. Literally, it is just you at that point, And you have to, it's all about you and, and your ability to carry it off. That's right. And and what I learned was the judges look at your face. They don't look at anything else. They want to know, how do you feel up there? And, and does your face tell me the story? That's really interesting. Uh, As you can probably tell, I haven't competed in beauty pageants, and that is a really interesting (laughs) insight. Mm -hmm. It's it's incredible, and and it really just that was really the point where I just started to realize that life is this space, and you can create what you want of your life. And and yes, part of it is faking it even when you don't feel it because you create your reality. So so if you portray that on your face, if you act what you want, you can get it. Now, let, I'm picturing you sort of emerging from the chrysalis, if you will, during the course <laughs> of your time in college. You're becoming comfortable on stage. You're doing these beauty pageants. How does that affect your plans for your life? Because I'm guessing you're the kind of person who has plans. Yes. So so it did affect my plans for my life quite a bit because up until this moment, I I don't think that I saw huge potential for myself in terms of where I would go to medical school and what I could be from that point. Um, I always did have this dream that maybe I could get into Johns Hopkins Medical School. That was, that was my original dream when I was young and I was going to be 
you know, a, a pediatric neurosurgeon. Um, and uh, I, I didn't realize what my true potential was in terms of schools to apply to. And so I, I realized that I was doing really well in my classes. I got great test scores. And as I became more confident in myself, my interview skills, I decided, hey, you know what? Why don't I apply to these top schools and just see what happens? If, if they reject me, that's fine. But I'm just going to put my feelers out. And so around this time, I began applying to you know schools like Harvard Medical School, where I eventually ended up going. If you'd asked me, you know, even just a couple of years before that, would you even apply to Harvard? I would have said, no, that's crazy. They would never accept me. And lo and behold, that's where I went. That's fantastic. Now, what did Harvard Medical School do to convince you to go there? Because I'm guessing you had a lot of options at that point. It, it was quite simple. They said, we're Harvard and you can move here for free. And I said, yes. <laughs> well, it's tough to turn that down. Right. <laughs> And that's the winters. I was going to say, now that is a big change because you grew up in Central Florida. You went to school in Central Florida and all of a sudden you're in Boston in this cold, dismal winter. What was that like? It was really difficult. The first year up here was just such a change for me. I, I love the culture and I love the people, but winter was definitely an adjustment. And for the first time, I I really understood what it meant to have seasonal affective disorder. That that definitely affected me. I remember visiting my primary care doctor and just telling him, you know, I'm I'm so tired. I'm depressed. I, I feel like I have lack of motivation. And the first thing he he just looked at me and he said, Where are you from? I said, I'm from Florida. He goes, ah, you need a lamp. <laughs> I just remember saying, what? This guy's crazy. And and I trusted him. I went on Amazon. I bought myself one of these SAD lamps. And it, it helped a lot, actually. So I, I still have it. And I turn it on every year in the, in the fall all the way through spring. <laughs> well, that does make me feel good. First of all, the story reveals a lot about you and just the classic practicality. I'm just going to take care of this. The second is it reveals that you are not, in fact, a Terminator sent from the future to destroy us all or possibly to save us all, but rather a human being as well. Absolutely. I mean, we we all have our weaknesses. And I've just been extremely fortunate that a lot of my dreams have been pushed by the weaknesses that I've had in the past. Now, somehow you end up on this television show, Mental Samurai. Is it your first television show? Because it was my first television show. Actually, it wasn't. I've been on one other TV show, Ooh. which, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a ridiculous show. It's, uh, um, it's no longer in existence, but this was maybe 2012 or 13. Uh, it's called El Chacal de la Trompeta on Sábado Gigante. Oh my goodness, you were on Sábado Gigante. Yes. Wow. You're familiar with it. Of course I'm familiar with Sábado Gigante and Don Francisco, although I think he may have retired. Don Francisco. So I got to go on a show right before he retired, which was just awesome. My goodness. So, so I don't know if you remember, there was this portion of his show, Sábado Gigante, where he had people come up and sing and they tried to mess them up while they were singing and and the chacal would play the the big trumpet la trompeta 
uh, if you messed up the song badly enough and then the audience would say, Fuera, Fuera, which means out, out, and they kick the players off the stage. I tell you, one of the things that we do sometimes as a family is we watch some of the Univision game shows and the like, and they definitely reflect the Latin sense of humor, which is uh, very, very bold and uh, <laughs> sometimes luxuriating in the uh, in the suffering of others. So there you go. <laughs> Um, well, I, I had a lot of fun on that show. Unfortunately, I did not get kicked off, which was my goal. Of course not. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was fun. So, so you know, I think some of those experiences that just made me not be afraid to fail, not be afraid to make a fool of myself in front of others, just to have fun with it, you know. And so, you do end up on Mental Samurai as your second television experience. How That's did right. the show find you? They found me actually uh, a couple of years ago for another TV show that was going to air, but never actually made it to air. And and I believe it was through a scholarship that I won when I was back in high school, college. Um, I won a, a, a scholarship for full paid tuition to any university for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So they found me from that website that had a bio about me. So when Mental Samurai came to the picture, I guess they sort of had a list of people that they had contacted for this other show. They pulled me up and contacted me again. And I said, sure, that sounds great. Now, this show didn't happen to be America's Brightest, did it? It did. That was the show. My goodness. That was the show that I had tried out for and been auditioned for, but then I never heard for them, and it's because the show was never made. But yes, somehow, many of us ended up on these lists because of that show. So we should be very grateful to America's Brightest, I suppose. Yes. I, I remember hearing from some of the other contestants that they as well had been scouted out for that show. So it's uh, it's cool that they, they kept us on a list for future purposes. Well, hopefully now that we are on that list as Mental Samurai, we will be even more in demand sometime in the future. I hope so. You know, I, I'd be really excited to do something medical related or, or educational, inspirational related. Something fun in the future would be great. Well, I'll pitch you more on that towards the end of the show. Uh, but before we get there, so you end up making it on Mental Samurai. How did it work with the scheduling? Were you able to get the schedulings that you could come out? Did it require you to move things around? Because I know you're always very busy. Yes, it was nearly impossible. And I didn't think I was going to be able to go. Um, I was actually on, on a, one of the hardest rotations we have during our third year of residency, and it took a lot of uh, favors and begging to get my schedule switched around, but I was able to get my vacation week moved to the week of Mental Samurai, and I just took a lot of back-to-back -back calls before and after to make up for it. Well, I think that certainly you are probably happy that you made those changes. <laughs> yes. Oh, it was definitely worth it. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Now, part of the Mental Samurai experience was you were part of the highly decorated Team Tuesday group. Yes. 
And so we were together on Tuesday with so many other contestants, including our fellow Mental Samurai and Ben Bergstrom and other folks mm-hmm. like Ryan and Nether and so on and so forth. So it was quite a powerhouse group. And one of the things I always told people in these interviews is that you and Joey were really like our cruise directors. You were helping to make sure that people were staying loose and building community, which I really appreciated. Yeah, I I remember that. Joey and I really had a a great connection. We had a lot of fun. Actually, I remember having so much fun with so many of the other contestants backstage. Um, Sam and I, for example, danced to Kung Fu Fighting. um, And yeah, we were just having an amazing time. And it was just really fun for me in particular to get outside of my mental bubble and meet other very interesting people who were doing incredible things with their lives and were from areas outside of my field. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Well, that was a big part of the experience for me. And I think I've heard it over and over again, people talking about just how wonderful it was to meet so many interesting people. And when they say that, I think they have you in mind much of the time. Oh, that's really sweet. Actually, and Chris, I'll say, I'm not surprised that you have decided to do this Chris Yeh show because I remember so keenly that throughout all of this, you were always trying to find out more about every person that was with us. And you came up to the, you came up with these really great theories as to what somebody's, you know, collective story was and why they they came on the show to share their stories. I found that really cool. I was like, he's definitely an author. Well, thank you. I do love storytelling and I do love learning about people. Uh, my mission in life is to meet smart and interesting people. So it was a great opportunity. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Same for me as well. So now we get to the show itself. And we ra- I think you went on after me. I don't know if you were able to actually see me go on my run, but I know you went a couple after me on that Tuesday night. It was getting pretty late. What was it like when you were finally strapped into Ava? So so I actually went right after you. So I had just watched you, you know, get every single question right and just be so, so poised, so happy, just so much fun to watch up there. So I just said, wow, okay, I have some really big shoes to fill. Um, it was, it was a combination of excitement, nervousness, complete disbelief and shock that I was even there being strapped into this thing. Part of me thought that maybe I was actually in the call room at the hospital and someone was going to page me, Jackie, wake up, you have a place to go to. <laughs> and all of this was some kind of crazy dream. But no, it was it was real. And then they strapped me in and, and the counter went down and it got very real all of a sudden. Wow. And that crowd must have gone nuts because to watch two mental samurai runs, full mental samurai runs back to back, that is definitely the only time during the entire filming that it occurred. I I do believe that's accurate. Yeah, I think uh, I think the audience had a lot of fun watching us back to back. Wow. Well, was there any point during that first run where you were worried about anything at all? Because as usual, it seemed like it was pretty effortless for you. But uh, was there anything that caused you to say, oh, I don't know? Oh, absolutely. There were multiple times where I just had to reason my way through things. I, I remember when I was watching the actual show, there was one moment that was just so obvious where there was a, a guy on a chair being pushed by another man behind him. And I just remember 
shouting out every single possible detail that I could think of as the picture was being shown. And then the question came up, how many legs were And the whole audience could feel my fear because that was the one thing I hadn't looked at. Oh. Yeah. And, wow. and I just feeling the panic and then calming myself. And I said, you know what? If my brain didn't think to look at it, because it must have been normal. And so if it's normal, it has to obey the laws of physics. And based on that is how I got the right answer. Wow, that's great. And that also reflects something that Joey always says, which is you got to relax, you got to stop, you got to think it through. Because if you take the time to think it through, more often than not, you'll actually get the right answer. That's right. It's uh, it's actually more, as with most things, it's, it's a game against being able to calm your own nerves and a game against yourself with the addition of the clock and some extra pressure. Yes. But of course, you came through with flying colors, became a mental samurai, won $100,000 and uh, became America's sweetheart. It, it was it was such an amazing experience. It's so hard for me to believe that all of this has actually happened. It is one of those things where I, even looking back now, it does seem a little dreamlike. So I, I have to agree with you on that. <laughs> now, yeah, that brings us to the finale. And of course, we have to ask this question. Um, what was it like uh, after your run in the finale? Because obviously in the finale, there was the question about curling. And I think you said you were thinking about weightlifting. And so you said grass instead of ice. And of course, you've you've filmed video of you actually curling on ice since then. What was that like in that moment? And, and how did you move past it? So when the question came up, I just remember thinking, you know what, I could sit here and think about it because I, I definitely have no idea. Or I could try my best and it's a 50-50 shot. I've already made it far enough and I'm on this great TV show. Whatever happens, happens. You know, I've, I've had a great run. And, uh, you know, I think at this point, it really came out that I was born in the Caribbean and grew up in Florida. So I know no winter sports whatsoever. So I really didn't know the answer uh, to, to many people's surprise. Because I live in Boston and there are curling teams and Olympic teams all over the place. Yes, but you're kind of busy in medical school and residency. That's not a time when you have all this free time to go ahead and explore winter sports. That's right. But I did take one of my free weekends, as you said, to actually go curling. Once once I got this wrong, and it, you know, it's part of my nature, I said, well, I have to figure out what this is. I have to see what the big deal is. And it turns out curling is really cool and actually a lot harder than it looks. I will say, watching the video, your form looked really good. You looked very graceful out there on the curling ice. Thank you. I, I had great teachers. My uh, my boyfriend and I went to a class with people who um, you know helped to train the Olympic teams around here. So it was it was awesome. Wow, that is incredible. Well, I promised you that I wouldn't take up too much of your time. So we're going to start to wrap up. I'm going to pitch you on something and then give you a chance to share your coordinates so that people who want to follow Jackie Bohem can continue to do so. So the first thing I'm going to pitch you on is I think that you should have your own talk show. If that Dr. Oz guy can have a talk show, I think you should definitely have a talk show. 
I, you know, I would actually love this. And I've been talking to folks here at uh, Fox Local Boston 25 about that possibility. So there may be something in the works sometime soon. I'll let you know. That is awesome. I think that even if they foolishly do not do it, you should think about doing some sort of web-based show uh, just to display your chops because I think you would be fantastic. And I would bet money right now that you will be on television several more times in the future, if not consistently. Thanks, Chris. So then the last thing is, so people have been clamoring for Dr. Jackie. They're not going to be satisfied with the amount we did, but they're just going to have to live with it for now. But let's say they want (laughs) to learn more about you, more about your life, follow your adventures. Where should they go? So they can follow me on Instagram. My name is Jackie BMD. That's J-A-C-K-I-E. B is in boy, E-E, like the animal, and then M, like Mary, D. Uh, so that's my Twitter handle. Um, I'm also going to be published soon in a book. Uh, so people can read a little bit more about my backstory into getting to medical school. It's uh, the inaugural edition of 50 Successful Harvard Medical School Essays book coming out this year. So they can um, look up and purchase that book. All funds go to funding the uh, Crimson, which is the Harvard student-run journal as well. Fantastic. Wow. I'm not surprised that they decided to select your essay, and I am looking forward to reading it. It is going to be fantastic. Thanks, Chris. This was so much fun. No, thank you so much for taking time out. Get back, get some sleep, get ready to go out and save some more lives, and thank you again for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks again, Chris. And congratulations to you. And congratulations to you. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. And that was my interview with Dr. Jackie Boehm. I think you can hear her incredible energy, her incredible enthusiasm, and I learned some things that I never learned before. For example, I never would have guessed that before she was in college and started doing beauty pageants, that Dr. Jackie was a shy, retiring nerd who would never get on stage. Hard to believe when you look at her now. I certainly hope that we'll be able to get Dr. Jackie back in the future. Keep your fingers crossed and think about the things you want me to ask her when she does. Until then, as always, if you like this podcast, please like, subscribe, and share. Tell your friends about it. Tell them that they can still watch Mental Samurai on the Fox website or on Hulu so they can see the amazingness that is Dr. Jackie. If you would like to find more information about me, you can look me up, Chris Yeh, C-H-R-I-S-Y-E-H. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me pretty much anywhere. Just Google me and I'll turn up. And of course, please do go ahead and continue supporting Mental Samurai and all the contestants. I'm Chris Yeh, and thank you for listening.